Welcome to the One O'ahu Podcast. I'm Brandi Higa, and today is Thursday, June 15th, 2023. We're back with Mayor Rick Blangiardi, and Mayor, the grind never ends for this job, at least. It's summer you know, break, but no summer break for you. Why? Well, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and I don't, and I think we probably need to start the show off differently uh, uh, going forward because I find myself saying to you, I can't believe it's been two weeks. That's number one. Number two, I can't believe we're halfway through June. Wow, yeah, it's it's, uh, but it's great. I and mean, we got a lot. Of, we're starting to get some really good momentum. Feeling good about things. Um, team is feeling good. We just got our budget approved the other day unanimously for the third straight year. So I think that's a good sign and the things to come as far as how we're going to work with city council in the coming year. Just finished the uh, the other day meeting with the governor. High degree of collaboration on the housing front. Anxious to see how that begins to manifest. So yeah, it doesn't feel like there's not a break. But there's a lot of exciting, positive things going on. Yeah, your mm. reaction to the council passing that budget uh, last week, uh, $3.41 for operating, $1.34 for that CIP. Well, my reaction, first and foremost, is one of gratitude towards our team because everybody worked really hard on a budget of that size, and especially budget and fiscal services. You know, Andy Quano, our director, yeah. Carrie Castle, our deputy, but the whole team. I mean, that's a very complicated situation but the best thing about it is that this budget now is the second of the three we've done that's reflective of our priorities and so we've got a lot of good things in there a lot of money for housing continued some really great initiatives on the homeless front we kept all of our money intact and what we want to do as far as staffing and personnel clearly we're making a significant investment in our police department and also in DPP uh, and we're beginning to see some real signs of life there as we evolve through the use of technology we still need people. You know, just overall, we just, look, the budget for us is a tool. And, th and, and this job is about problem solving. And so we've got tools now, resources, that everybody on our team, because it's a shared group, has to work with. Because at the end of the day, it does take money to solve these kinds of problems. And so being able to spend the money where we want to spend it, based on the things that we believe are the most important, if you will, the priorities, is a good feeling. An innovative solution that you and Andy came up with was that one-time tax credit. The $50 added by council to that, is that a good thing? Yeah, I think it's a good thing. Look, it was a question of whether we could afford it. I mean, originally yeah. the $300 was going to come out to $45.5 but what it would give and what we wanted in the structure of it, it was give the greatest relief to the homeowners on the lower end. There's yeah. 152,000 homeowners who qualify for $100,000 exemption. The 300 would have created about an $86,000 exemption. So by going up to 350, it adds another $14,000, about another 100,000. So case in point, on the lower end, some of the houses might have gone up over 100. Chances are most of them didn't. So what this does is it offsets that tax burden. They got the increased valuation, but they don't have to pay the tax in this one-time type of thing. And we'll see what valuations go forward. For people with multi-million dollar homes, it's, it'll have less of an impact, but it still has a positive impact. It's, you know, because in the aggregate, to take it up to 350, we're forfeiting, if you will, from the standpoint of collecting taxes, about $53 million to do that. That's sort of a give back across the board to the homeowners. It's a positive thing. It's the second, only the second time it's been done and never for a $350 amount. So I think hopefully people will feel like they were heard that we responded accordingly because this was an aberration. It was unexpected. The valuations 
you know, we're, the home retail sales had never exceeded ten billion dollars in a year before. And this past year, went up to over twelve and a, almost twelve and a half billion. Uh, most of the time in past years, it was around seven billion dollars a year, which really kind of used to manifest itself like at a five percent increase. Again, property taxes are relatively low, but the multiplier effect here because of the valuation of the home. So 5% a year was somewhat benign, but this year it just jumped, it skyrocketed, and a lot of people weren't ready for it. I thought we responded in the best way we could. Council also had an add of 70 million on top of the 100 million initially proposed to purchase and develop affordable housing. That seems like a great amount of money to be added onto that, but that has tremendous potential. Oh yeah, it does. And this is again what I just said earlier about having our priorities met. You know, we know what the wicked problems are. Housing is one, uh, and it's a big one. And, but more importantly, and this is where the nuance comes in, because there's a lot of construction going on around town. You're going to begin to see a lot more. The idea here is to be able to build housing for our local people, people who can afford. We're not buying for outside markets mm -hmm. or investors or even people with high, high net worth. Um, there's enough of that happening now. What we need to do is be in the business of constructing homes that young couples can live in, single people that are professionals or working hard, or you know, people places where people can either afford to rent or, if impossible, even afford to buy. We're focused on that clientele and that market, and those monies are going to be appropriated that way. Sticking to affordable housing, you were recently at the blessing for Hale Makana O Mo Ili Ili. What's the vision for that property? Well, you know what? That project really is a classic project because it took a lot of collaboration, including with the state as well, but lots of organizations and, and people donating time and money and whatever. It's, it's taking... Uh, what was eight houses on a whole bunch of lots, old homes mm -hmm. in the Mo'ili'ili area, leveling that, still didn't give you that big a footprint because a little bit less than a year and a half ago, I went to the groundbreaking, and now they've got this incredible structure that was built there new in that same community for Kapuna. And, you know, where people live and having a sense of place in their respective communities where they've lived for a long time, or maybe even somebody who would move in for the first time, it's a very convenient neighborhood. It's a walking neighborhood. People have lived there, just are really proud to live there. So this, and I went through the units. This is for Kapuna. It's really well-priced. It's affordable. Um, and I think that uh, at the end of the day, it, this particular project could be a, a shining example of, you know, for other projects of its kind to come because we definitely need that kind of housing. Mayor, there was some pretty tough news last week um, regarding a fentanyl case mm. in Waikiki. What's being done, or I guess what can be done to prevent this deadly problem? Because it's becoming more and more prevalent, especially it here is. on Oahu. It is. You know, we met with the police about it, and you know, and um, look, it's unfortunate that uh, people who are taking illegal drugs now are also potentially going to be victims of, you know, drugs being laced with fentanyl, which is a killer. If you talk to anybody in the medical profession, you know, in fact, they found those bodies without trying to be too graphic. They had their lines of cocaine out, and, and the ones that died, it was that sudden. They hadn't even, I mean, they had taken some, but they, they weren't even done taking their drugs. I mean, it was like, boom, you know, like getting shot, that immediate. And I think that um, that's more than scary so you can pass Narcan and you, but the whole thing with Narcan 
presupposes somebody's going to be there mm -hmm. and be able to administer it or get it, you know? Um, no, it's a very dangerous time. I mean, drugs have never been anything anyone recommends. We know, and I'm not naive to the amount of illicit drug taking that goes on, but now having something as dangerous as, as fentanyl, which is a killer. Uh, I don't know the status of the three people who didn't die, but I was told, I've got to be careful here, they really weren't in great shape either. I mean, mm -hmm. but thankfully and hopefully they, they will survive this ordeal. But it was, it was, it was lethal and it was very nasty for the people who did survive. That doesn't seem to be anything that anybody would want to take a chance on. The rail system was recently handed over from yeah. our, to our Department of Transportation Services. This is a significant and historic event. It is. Um, but what does this mean now for the city and, and our responsibilities? Well, we're going to be responsible for the operating and maintenance along with Hitachi, which is really the operator, but we're going to have to have the oversight in what we're doing and, and the buck stops here, if you will, with the city like it does with bus. But I think, you know, what it really does more than anything, I think, is take all these many years of people grumbling and all the other <laughs> yeah. things that have gone on. And I can tell you from just the, um, the, the group that came out during media day, they were blown away. They had not, they, you know, when they got up there, they actually rode in the cars and saw, and, and if that's a sampling of things to come, I know how impressed I was when I got on it. And we're gonna be offering, you know, come the 4th of July weekend, free rides for four days. And I suspect, I'm, I'm, I, I, I will be surprised if we don't do 200,000 people. Now, people are telling me they think it's gonna be a lot less. I think people are gonna come out in droves to experience this because the buzz on it already is very positive. So, I look, it, we're beginning a new era, and this is going to create things that nobody has even thought of yet with respect to communities, housing, access. I think that, you know, the nice thing about this, while this was a historic moment in time to take it over, this is sort of the gift that keeps on giving because we continue with construction, right. and we hope that two summers from now will be to Middle Street. We've got the guideway already built there, but we have to get operational on a lot of things that'll take us through two of the big employment centers and then hopefully by the end of this decade around 2030 uh we'll have gotten it to kakaako and that'll take us down through downtown and create an 18.75 mile rail system that is designed in part to connect us you know from east east oahu to west yeah, I like that you mentioned that they were still not Paul yet, but what more do you want to see done? Is Ala Moana enough? Is East Kapolei at the Croc Center enough? You know, I hope, and I, you know, I don't want to be presumptuous here, but over the time that we have left in office, uh, uh, that, you know, we at least get in the planning stages, discussion stages on phase two. I think the next phase goes to Ala Moana in part, but I think it goes deeper into Kapolei, and maybe it goes, it depends on the amount of federal monies mm -hmm. we think we can possibly get upon the successful completion of this because i know that those who build it and those who voted for it and those who really have an idealistic view of what this could be would be to have a rail system that would take you all the way to the university of hawaii that would connect along the way you know with, with our community colleges and hpu in fact we had a really mm -hmm. good meeting last week with hpu about the stop uh, that's going to be there right by their campus. So, you know, being able to connect people on that basis is terrific. But then you get all the other employment situations, not to mention the other ease of convenience, you know, charging the same as the bus. I can see in that Dillingham corridor, once it's done, 
people getting on and off like they do the bus mm -hmm. riderships and it just it's uh, as it's proven in other cities it just creates a life of its own and in communities of its own and all kinds of other things so this is an exciting project and I know there's been a lot of grumbling justifiably this project has been plagued with budget overruns and time delays and confusion and lots of emotion but I think once now we begin to operate, I think you're going to, I feel it already. There's a certain calm about it because the reality is it's here. And I think once the buzz starts with people riding it and feeling good about the experience, I think it's going to get even better. I like that you mentioned those who championed it and had this idealistic view of it because there were a lot of people that supported this project from the start. You know, this handing over, what is your message to Lori Kahikina? Because it must be tough, something that you spent so much time and effort on and then finally you're giving it away. Well, my message to Lori is one of congratulations because she's not done. She's building a lot more, right? But it's one of appreciation, deep gratitude, and, uh, and, and congratulations because, candidly, the project that we inherited when we came into office together in January of 21, the status of the project was really a bad way. FTA had not contributed any money since 2017. They were holding $744 million, which was forcing the city to borrow money at very expensive interest rates to continue construction. We uh, had a disillusioned public, an angry public. Again, this is pre-COVID. This is when we started January. Well, no, we were in the middle of COVID, uh, forgive me, in the middle of the pandemic. And, and, um, and there was just uncertainty. It was uncertainty about what you could do. So anyway, the point is that we pivoted. We focused on what we could do, not what we couldn't do. We went through a recovery plan. The FTA liked it. Everything was vetted. We went to work on it and we we're up and running and now some, you know, it'll be just about 30 months later to the day, two and a half years from the time we came into office, that what was a very much talked about issue when I was running for mayor was on the lips of everybody who had some kind of complaint, anger, bewilderment, confusion, you name it, um, that two and a half years into it were actually operational. I think. I think Lori Kaikina deserves a tremendous amount of credit for her leadership and her knowledge. And I knew going in that she'd be one hell of an engineer, and she proved to be exactly that. And in this phase of the project, her engineering skills are exactly what we need. To take nothing away from her other executive skills, but that engineering knowledge and what she was able to do um, to even extend further what we thought the money could initially buy us is a real credit to her and her team. Well, going back to that meeting, though, with the FTA, almost unbelievable the fact that we were able to get this uh, recovery plan with a truncated scope approved. You were able to announce that mid-summer opening. Um, what's been the communication like from the time that they approved that plan till now? Has there been continued oh, communication yeah. where fact, they tell you what they need next? And Yeah, in fact, they've been here a couple times. Um, the last meeting... <laughs> Uh, one of the FTA executives said to me, he said, I have to tell you, Mayor, I never thought I'd be saying bravo <laughs> on this project. And I knew that. I knew, he said, but this is seeing it come to fruition in all that you've been able to do, your team. I don't, that's not about me. What you guys have been able to do, uh, he said, has been really wonderful to see. So, yeah, I think we've... Uh, that was what it was about. To say it another way, Randy, we just had to get our act together. You know, there was a lot of discord. It wasn't working between the mayor's office and Hart and the Hart board and city council. And it just, it was just, there wasn't that sense of people being together with a shared vision 
and doing everything that they possibly could to make this happen. And that was one of the first things we got accomplished. In fact, that was the advice that I was given by the outgoing FTA administrator when I first got into office, before I even got sworn in in December, just a couple of weeks before Christmas and before I was swearing in on January 2nd, she said, Rick, if I gave you one word of advice, she said, I think, you know, get your act together because the perception is you don't have anybody pulling in the same direction. Bad enough, you've got all these other financial problems and construction problems, but the fact that it doesn't look like anybody's on the same page is not creating any kind of confidence in Washington. So I think we've come a long way in a short period of time. Very proud of that. You know who else got their act together? The po- folks out in Pro City at the district pool. Yeah. <laughs> um, what, for Is those, that great? Yeah, I mean, for nearly five years it was closed. Yeah. I guess for someone like me, I, I'm not sure why it took so long and what we did to get to this point to finally be able to open it, but what happened there? Well, you know, in Waipahu was seven years, right? Yeah. So we learned about those things. Look, the only part I played in it was get the damn pool open. I want to hear about why we can't. There's got to be a way to get a pool open. I mean, it's already constructed. It's there. The pipes are there. Whatever we have to fix, we ought to be able to fix. These communities deserve that. So I don't want to take any credit other than saying that was inexcusable to have community assets like that, you know, not being accessible to the public, knowing full well how those pools are utilized. I mean, they really, you know, there's a lot of people who like to swim at all age groups, right? Whether you're teaching a little kid to swim or you've got somebody, you know, in their 70s doing it because it's great cardio workout and it's not stressful, like trying to run or whatever. And I mean, all the way through, teams, I mean, I'm just really pleased we got it done. It just, you know, that shame on us if we have any more of that happening because one of the things we learned at the town hall if there was any common theme, it was in community by community, you know, the, the things that people did in those respective communities to play involving parks and recreation or other facilities or other things that they needed was one of the top of mind uh, concerns in all the communities, albeit they were different from each other. Mm-hmm. But, you know, allowing people recreational opportunities like that is something the city has to be able to provide. You and your cabinet recently participated in a Chinatown cleanup. This is maybe the third time around for you and your third staff. one. So are you hearing anything different, seeing anything different in that area? Yeah, I think I see a lot because I go there a lot just to check and see. I mean, I, you know, I think we've we've made inroads with both the you know, removal of the criminal element. We're, we're picking up and taking dealing with more and more homeless people. Right now, as we speak, Kekalike Mall is going through major construction. So there's going to be even a lot more as we get ready to build the Chinatown train, uh, train station for the, for the rail. Um, but I, I think in general, I'm seeing more stores now open. There's still got too many vacancies down there. Mm-hmm. It's a historic district. But in our post-COVID recovery now, there's a block of Hotel Street where it's just nothing but all new restaurants you know, and some existing ones that were there. So. I look, I, I think that we're, we're making inroads. The Sun Yat-sen Park, last week, I've been told I was not able to be there. I missed. The, I went to the first two concerts. We had a free concert in the park. Everybody said it was the best one yet, mm-hmm. best attendance yet. The acts were excellent. Everybody loved it. We're doing those for free. The park itself looks nice, but more than anything, we're trying to you know, activate downtown and, and, and make things accessible so people who live there can feel safe and they've got some things to do and so on and so forth. Um, I'm hearing a lot of possibilities on what's gonna happen with respect to the Walmart location and that other half block. It's a 3.2 acre block, all of which sounds promising. I don't 
but at this point have specific plans to flush out. Mm -hmm. But it seems to me that a bunch of private developers have seen this opportunity, recognizes, recognize fully, and so do we, what it represents for our urban core that they need to do something really creative. So I'm excited about the potential of that. I mean, to be honest with you, having a big store like Walmart, which was there and a big concrete thing, bam, sitting there right in the middle, you know, between Bishop Street, I mean, just right there. Uh, if they can come up with something creative that adds to the vitality of living downtown, very exciting, very exciting. Mayor, Father's Day is this weekend. Mm. Happy early Father's Day to you. Thank you. I hope my kids remember I, that, Brandy. But coming from you, at least I'll be able to say, Brandy wished me a happy Father's Day. But I just want to know what that day means to you, because I'm sure being a father carries a lot of joy, but a lot of pressure, and it's not like that ever goes away. No. It doesn't go away. And I think, look, I mean, I think it's great when you're to get to be a parent. All parents say the same thing. It's, it's, you know, it's one of the wonders of life. And it opens up incredible capacity in your own heart to love. And, you know, in, 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 in some ways, you love them all the same. But in some way, I had three children. You love them all differently because they are different, right? Mm -hmm. So it's really kind of interesting. And then to watch them go from the babies they once were now, my kids are all old. In fact, my daughter, who is the youngest, is about to turn 38, and she's having her fourth daughter. She has three girls now. So I think about that in the, those terms. But I, I could say this, and true of even my daughter, as independent as she is, they are still, in your mind, as a parent, they are still kids, you know? It's just that their issues become different. But that connection, that sense of protection, that, that paternal role, if you will, it's just different dynamics because of their ages, but it's the same kind of thing. And I think most parents understand that. They're your kid and they'll always be your kid. And I don't mean that in a pejorative way. It's just like that. And you just sort of want to be there to help them with life, knowing for well for all of us, we all experience the ups and downs. And it hurts just as much to see one of your kids going through a down period now at their respective ages, mature and in the world as it did when they were young kids. It's the same kind of a thing. Well, you see that in them. I'm sure they see it with you as well. Have they commented or given you advice when you're hitting down times and people are criticizing you on social media when, yeah, I when don't you're know. taking hits? Yeah, yeah, if I'm taking I don't. You know, I, they don't tell me about what's on social media. No, I don't look at it, but I know they follow. So they probably are aware. No, I think, look, I'm hoping I'm, I'm doing my kids proud here by this chapter of my life of continuing to work on a daily basis, have an incredible responsibility of being mayor, trying to do a good job, and and giving life everything I have given this job and life, if you will, everything I have to give. I think, I think I've kind of surprised them, to be honest with you. <laughs> you know, I mean, because I will be 77 on my next birthday, and I think maybe they had an image of, you know, now that I have grandkids, grandpa. Grandpa doesn't work like I do, you know? I think so. I think they're kind of like, they're like impressed with that, if I could say that. I think they are anyway. They don't really ever say that, but I can I can tell that they, um, they're they like, okay, way to go, Dad. Keep going. <laughs> I can yeah. tell you they're proud of you. Yeah, and you. I think that's a good point for me to ask you, that this is the One Oahu podcast. So for your one final thought. Well, you touched on it. Let me wish all the fathers a very happy Father's Day. And, and to that extent, um, it's not easy being a dad, but it's also a huge responsibility and the difference that you can make in your children's lives. And so, you know, you own that responsibility, unique, if you will, to that privilege of being a parent. 
Um, and so I want to thank them all for the love and the caring and the hard work, you know, the things that they've done in their lives to live up to that expectation to be a good dad. So happy Father's Day. Mayor, thank you for your time. You're welcome. And if you have a question for the mayor, we take those questions and get them answered right here on this podcast. You can submit your podcast questions by heading to oneoahu.org slash podcast. Thanks for listening. And until next time, aloha.